The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I think there is a, a, an, an occasion, a situation, that at some point every parent has to walk through. It might even be a, a rite of passage. I might be pushing it too far, but it's a situation that every parent at some point has to deal with. And it's to varying degrees of severity, but every parent at some point, one of their children breaks a bone. Maybe they break the wrist or break a toe or break an arm, break a leg, but at some point, it just seems like Every family, they've got to walk through. There's, there's the emergency room visit, and then there's the cast. Maybe that was you when you were a kid. Maybe some of you are like, that was me about five times as a kid. Okay, that could be you. Maybe you're a parent, and you're like, my kid's over, and kids miss you right now with a, a cast on. Okay, and I think it's just one of those things, like every parent has to walk through that situation. And Rebecca and I had the privilege the joy of walking through that over the summer, okay? And when you walk through that as a parent, it reveals something to yourself. It reveals something to you about how you walk through crisis. And so what happened was, um, and and luckily everyone's fine now, Uh, everyone's limbs are working 100%, praise God, so like everyone's good. Um, But what happened, it was uh, late one evening, And Rebecca and I hear screaming coming from one of the rooms. Uh, One of our children had fallen off the bunk bed, and we go racing in there and um, discovered to our horror that there was a broken arm on the premises. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what that broken arm looked like, or we'll have a medical crisis on the stage, okay? And we we don't need that, all right? But as, I, as we approached the situation, I, um, I realized something about how personally I deal with medical crises. And I, I should have already known this, but it just underscored that truth. Now, there are some people that in, this, in place of a, when they're in a medical crisis, they're great. They're calm. They're clear-headed. They know what to do. They know what everybody else is supposed to be doing, and they take charge calmly, okay? That's some of you here. Some of you know this about yourself, okay? Then there's others that in a medical crisis, they are not good. There's screaming. There could be a blackout, okay? There could be passing out. There could be incoherent rambling. That person just needs to lock themselves in a closet, okay? Some of you don't know that about yourself, okay? Now, what I realized in this when we came upon this broken arm, what I realized is that I am a third category, which is even worse. I am not good in a medical crisis, There is incoherent thoughts, screaming, and near blackouts, but I also take charge. (laughs) So when I ran into the room, I immediately see the situation. The arm does not look good, and I just start shouting orders to people like, you eat some crackers, you go to the bathroom, put a sock on, and it doesn't make any sense, okay? Why I would be the one to take over is a bad idea. Okay, my wife is a a licensed clinical social worker. She deals with people and trauma. I am a trained Bible nerd. That's the only thing I offer to the equation, okay? 
Luckily, Rebecca's cool-headedness, we got through the situation, and um, I thank God for the medical professionals that put all the arm back together. Um, but I believe that that scenario, some type of trauma, again, to varying degrees in different families, at some point it seems like in every home, there is a broken bone. It's just something that every parent at some point has to walk through. Now, I bring that up, all joking aside, I bring that up because there is a certain type of situation that I believe, to varying degrees of severity, every person walks through at some point in their life. And there's a certain type of crisis that everybody goes through at some point in their life, again, to varying degrees of severity. And it's in the category of mental health. At some point in your journey, you will walk through or have walked through or are walking through, maybe. Maybe it's loneliness, feeling isolated. Maybe it's anxiety that's not just like stress, but it's debilitating. Maybe it's feelings of exhaustion and burnout or maybe even depression, maybe severely. Maybe it's some kind of uh, addiction or dependency struggle. At some point, we all walk through some type of mental health crisis. We walk through some type of season. And because that is such a, a common human experience, that's part of being a human, is dealing with our mental, emotional health. That's something we should not be surprised that the Bible talks about. And because it's something that, even if it's not something that we are walking through or have walked through, we have someone very close to us who has or will. A spouse, a child, a sibling, a parent, a friend that needs you there to walk through it with them. And because that's such a common part of the human experience, what we want to do in this series called It's Okay is to see what the Bible teaches about mental health. Now, this is not like therapy. This, is not, this doesn't take place of therapy. We couldn't possibly go into that depth, and it's such a, a complex and nuanced situation that each person, there are parts of each person's life experience that couldn't possibly be dealt with in a setting like this. But what this can do as we look at the Scripture is to get us as a church community equipped, aligned, thinking in the same way so that, first of all, this is a safe place for people to walk through, for us to walk through varying mental health struggles or situations. And also so that we know how to handle those things and we know how to support each other when we walk through those things. So excited to start off this series, excited for also the companion podcast that we're doing along the way. I want to encourage you to check that out. But what we want to do is I want to take you to a part of the Bible. It's called, it's 1 Kings. The book is called 1 Kings and it's chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, I want you to open there. It's in the Old Testament. That You can look at it in your Bible app on your device. If you have a physical Bible, open to 1 Kings. There's also, you can check out the table of contents in the front of your Bible if you uh, need some assistance finding 1 Kings. And then I want you to go to chapter 19. <clears throat> Just a historical context here. 
This takes place several hundred years before Jesus is born. This is in uh, what we call the uh, Old Testament. The current king of Israel at the time that this story takes place is a guy by the name of Ahab. His wife's name is Jezebel. Okay, we're going to come across these characters here right off the bat. Let's pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now let's pause there for a second. Three characters, Ahab, Jezebel, and Elijah. Ahab is the current king of Israel, as we mentioned. He is not a good king, a notoriously bad king. He does not love God, does not follow God, and neither does his wife. In fact, he is a very, very weak leader, very weak person, and you get the sense as you read through it that his wife Jezebel is running the show in the entire kingdom. And Jezebel is a notoriously dark, wicked person. So notorious is her wickedness that she actually becomes kind of like the quintessential villain in the Bible. Like if there's one person by name mentioned that's a villain, it might be Jezebel. She's referenced as kind of like a category in Revelation. She's like allegorically mentioned in Revelation, the person Jezebel. She's a very, very wicked person. Through Jezebel and Ahab, through Ahab's reign, they have led Israel to worship false for false idols. Now, this is not just a spiritual crisis, but it is a terrible spiritual crisis because Israel was, as God's people, are supposed to lead the world, the surrounding nations. They're to be a blessing to those nations and lead them by example and by inviting them in to worship the one true living God, Yahweh. But instead, the opposite has happened. They have brought the idols of the outside world in. And in some cases, they have kind of blended the outside world's idols into their worship of God. In other cases, they flat out left worshiping God and they're worshiping these idols. And these idols are, they don't accomplish anything. People are putting their hopes in something that will do them no good. But beyond that, this idol worship ends up leading into really, really dark things. What do I mean by dark things? Some of these surrounding uh, idol-worshiping religions lead their people into sacrificing their children to a god, like physically killing their children before a god. Others, some of these uh, religions have a very prominent sex trade uh, attached to their worship with prostitution involved actually in their worship. So many of these religions have like self-harm baked into their worship where the people are actually cutting themselves uh, as part of their worship. 
This is the stuff that Israel is supposed to save the surrounding world out of, but instead they've brought it in, especially under the influence of Jezebel, have brought it into Israel. And Israel's blending it in with their worship. So, Elijah, God's prophet, this is the famous Elijah. If you've ever met someone named Elijah, this is where that name comes from. The famous Elijah, the quintessential prophet. If you were if in the New Testament, when they list like one prophet to represent all the prophets, it's not Samuel, it's not Isaiah, it's not Jeremiah, it's Elijah. He is that significant of a prophet. He has just destroyed the 450 wicked, evil prophets of Baal, one of their false gods. And how he did it is one of the most, what happened is one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. Elijah goes to Ahab. Let me just tell you the story. Elijah goes to Ahab. And he says, um, and Ahab's already not happy with Elijah. And he says, you have allowed God's people to begin worshiping these idols, but that's no more. So what I want you to do is I want you to gather all of Israel to this one mountain, Mount Carmel. And I want you to get all 450 prophets of Baal. At this point, Jezebel has already executed most of the prophets to the living God, except for the ones she doesn't know about, and Elijah, who she can't catch. Elijah's on top of Mount Carmel, and all of Israel gathers around, and all 450 prophets of Baal are in a showdown. Elijah by himself on one side, the prophets of Baal on the other side. Now, I want you to imagine, these are the prophets and priests who are leading God's people into these very satanic, dark, wicked, self-mutilating practices. Now, can you imagine one versus 450? Can you imagine how intimidated you'd be if you were Elijah? But Elijah's not alone, is he? He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You get a bull. I'll get a bull. They will be our sacrifices. You to Baal, your false god, and me to Yahweh. And what we'll do, we will both put our, our, the animals on the, the altar, and we will both ask our gods to bring fire from heaven. We will not light the sacrifice. We will ask our gods to bring fire from heaven and light it himself. Because if they're all powerful, clearly they can do that. And by the way, this was something that Baal was supposed to be able to do. So they say, okay. He says, you know what? You go first. He steps aside. 450 prophets, they put their bull on their altar, and they start their dark chanting. You can imagine just how your, the hairs on the back of your neck might stand up, just running shivers down your spine at just the, the rhythms and the chants, this dark chanting to the satanic god. And they start singing and chanting and, and calling out to their God. And you know what happened? Nothing. An hour passes. Now it starts escalating. They start screaming louder. They start wailing and crying out to God. They're, they're dancing and chanting and calling out to Baal that he might light this altar on fire. An hour passes. Another hour passes. And Elijah gets up from reclining next to his altar and says, Hey, um, man, maybe Baal can't hear you. I would suggest screaming and wailing louder. 
He might be on vacation. You know, who knows? Maybe he just, he might have just gone up to North Carolina, sitting in the mountains up there. Okay, maybe he went down to the Keys. You know, maybe he can't hear you. You know what? He might be asleep. Just call louder and wake him up. He might be sleeping or, or maybe he's in the bathroom. I, I don't know. He might, be, he might be indisposed. Okay, call out to Baal a little louder. And so they start screaming louder. An hour passes, another hour has passed. And now they go and they pull out swords. And they take the swords and they're cutting themselves, self-harm. They take lances and spears. They start stabbing themselves so that they could show Baal their fervor. And blood is just gushing from 450 prophets until they are all collectively one bloody mess. And nothing happens because Baal is not a real God. Elijah steps up. Could I, could I have a turn? They quiet down. He pulls Israel close. He says, watch the power of the living God. Builds an altar. Gets the animal on top of the altar. And then he says, before we go any further, um, I need you to dig a trench around it. They trench out all around the altar. He says, okay, perfect. Could you get four large jars of water? I want you to dump it over the, this animal. I want it drenched with water because we've had this famine and a drought, and I don't want any of you to think it just got really dry under the hot sun. Like, I want there to be no way you miss the power of God. No excuses. They dump all of the jars of water. It's drenching the altar. It's actually filling up the trench with water. And then he steps back. And he calls out to the Lord, Lord, today, once and for all, show your people Israel again that you are the one true living God. And when he's done praying, searing out of the sky an explosion of fire on the altar, fire consumes the entire bull. It consumes the altar. It licks up all of the water in the trench and all that's left when probably the screaming from all of Israel dies down is a charred place where the altar had been. And Elijah says, see once and for all the one true living God. You're saying that happened? Well, we're reading 1 Kings 19. You go back and read 1 Kings 18 and look at the story. And they seize all 450. They hunt down every last one of these wicked prophets who had led them astray. I mean, that moment, I mean, that's like up there with the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, this is like one of the greatest moments, expressions of God's power in all of history. And what an incredible moment to be Elijah and for God to have chosen to work that through him. So King Ahab comes back and sees Jezebel. Whew, this was a crazy day. I don't know what happened in your day, but I got to tell you what happened. This was crazy, okay? And by the way, all of your prophets, they've all been killed. So the all 450 prophets, I don't know if that upsets you. And Jezebel is livid, and she says, you tell Elijah by this time tomorrow, I will destroy him. Now, you're Elijah. You just saw fire come down from heaven. You just had a standoff with 450 wicked, evil, satanic prophets. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, 
God zapper. Just get rid of that Jezebel. Like, come on. Like, that's you kidding me? Just, you know, flick her off your shoulder. Like, what are you going to do? You're Elijah. You just saw this incredible moment. You think Jezebel's threat is going to influence Elijah, the great prophet? Let's see what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. After this incredible moment, unbelievable it's only like a couple times in the Bible that moments like this happen. And because it's so hard for us to actually believe, they wrote it down like God did this. This doesn't happen every day. Elijah was there. He saw it. He was the instrument through which God did it. And one threat gets breathed over his life, and he runs for his life, and he's so exhausted, he's so, he's so demoralized, he's so discouraged, he's so burned out, he's so depressed, he goes off all alone in isolation, collapses under a tree in the middle of the desert, and says, God, I would rather be dead. He's in a deep crisis. What's happening here? He's got a, a rational, it's a fear that's a, a naturally rational fear. Jezebel's killed a lot of God's prophets. She's very powerful. There's good reason for him to be afraid, naturally. Naturally speaking, it's a rational fear. Spiritually speaking, it's an irrational fear. He just saw the power of God. So here he is, this incredible man of God, with a naturally rational fear, but a spiritually irrational fear. And he's in crisis. And he's alone. Now what is going to happen next is so important for us to see. Because the only one who's going to deal with Elijah's crisis is God. So what does God do? How does God handle Elijah? I want you to see. And I want you to, before we look at it, I want you to stop. What do you think from what you know about God that he's going to do? Well, God's all-powerful, and he's, he's all-knowing. And so, I mean, obviously, he's got a spiritual, irrational fear. And yeah, I mean, in the natural world, it's, it's rational, but he's a spiritual guy, and there's a greater reality that's spiritual. So probably what God is going to do is he's going to just remind him of all of the theological truths. And so God is probably going to just start, Elijah, I mean, you know what the Psalms say, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And he's just going to start speaking these spiritual truths, 
Maybe he's going to, you know, speak over, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, remember these theological truths. Obviously, you've got a theological crisis. Let's deal with what you believe about God. There's something you're not believing about God right now that I've got to remind you about because God is, I mean, he's all-knowing and all-powerful. Maybe that's what God is going to do to Elijah, for Elijah. Well, maybe you say, well, I mean, there's that, but I mean, there's also, there's also God's holiness. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of expecting God to be like, Elijah, are you serious? I don't bring fire down from heaven for a whole lot of people, Elijah. Like, you're all big and bold over there, and then one person threatens you, and you run for your life. What's wrong with you, Elijah? I mean, I thought you were stronger. Like, I thought I had put a man as a prophet over my people to lead my people. I thought you were going to be stronger, Elijah. I, I'm a little disappointed in you, and you should be disappointed in yourself. I mean, is this all? When you're squeezed, Elijah, clearly this is what comes out, and it's not pretty. Maybe that's what you'd expect to hear from God. This is what God does, and it's instructive. Verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. What did God do? No lecture. No condemnation. No Bible lesson. No scripture reading. Gave him some bread. Gave him some water. Told him to go back to sleep. Slept. Woke him up. Gave him some bread. Gave him some water. And then led him out on a retreat. You need some time away, Elijah. Got some space. And then here's what would happen if we kept reading. Elijah goes to Mount Horeb. That's Mount Sinai, by the way. Goes to the mountain of God. It's a very spiritual retreat. And he goes in a cave. Silence and solitude. And then God ministers to him teaches him something. And it's through a whisper, by the way. It's very subtle and quiet. But he speaks to him there. This is like weeks later. And when he calls him back out to re-enter into his calling and his ministry several months later, after this whole journey, 
He sends him back into a very meaningful, rich community because he thinks he's all alone and isolated. And what do we see that God does here? He, he handles his body. He gives him food. He makes sure he's hydrated. He makes sure he sleeps. He deals with his emotions. He gives him a retreat away for a few months. And then he meets him spiritually. He deals with him spiritually. He deals with him holistically. How does God handle that crisis? Gently, quietly, patiently, holistically. And here's the phrase I want you to hear. The one thing he said, the one truth he spoke over him other than arise and eat was this one phrase. The journey is too great for you. Now, wait a minute. How do we square that phrase? I mean, what about the verse that says that God will never give you more than you can handle? I mean, like, I know the Bible says that somewhere. There's a verse that God will never give you more than, I, than you can handle. So if God will never give you more than you can handle, how come he's now saying to Elijah, hey, uh, you can't handle this journey? Well, the problem is, the Bible never says that God will, will not give you more than you can handle. That is not a verse in the Bible. In fact, the Bible pretty much promises he will give you more than you can handle. <laughs> Think about this with me. Our Western society that has a wouldn't call it this, but it's essentially, it's a religion that believes I can handle everything myself. And so our ritualistic practices are to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and say, you can do it. You can do everything you put your mind to. Don't let anyone say anything else, because if you can dream it, man, go after your dreams, be true to yourself, and if you hold on tightly enough to your dreams, you can accomplish it. And you know what the Bible says? You can't do it. The dream that God has for you is so much bigger than you could possibly accomplish in your own strength. And so what has happened is not unlike in the Old Testament, an outside idol of our individualism has gotten blended in with our worship of the God of God according to scripture. And so we think the Bible says that God wouldn't give you more than you can handle, but God never said that. I mean, think play this out. If God would never give you more than you can handle, that means God is saying, "I want to position you to always be able to do everything on your own strength." Does that sound like something God would say? No, God says Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you strength. I will give you rest. He says, cast your cares upon the Lord. Be still and know that I am God, God says. Not be still and look in the mirror and tell yourself that you are all powerful like God. Be still and know that I am God, the scripture says. 
And so it's not surprising if we think we should be able to accomplish everything in our lives. It's not surprising that when we get to a place where we're faced with anxiety, depression, exhaustion, loneliness, addiction, dependency, when we're facing a mental health struggle, it's not, it's not only surprising that we are, but it's also surprising to us. Because we're like, I was supposed to be able to handle this, and I'm embarrassed that I'm stressed, and I'm embarrassed that I'm anxious, and I'm embarrassed that I'm going to these things that are not good to kind of get me through, and it's creating a dependency. I'm embarrassed that I'm, that I'm walking through this. I'm embarrassed that I'm struggling with burnout. I'm embarrassed because I'm supposed to be able to accomplish it. I'm supposed to be able to handle it. But that's something that our world says that's not something the Bible says. Here's what I want you to hear from the scripture about mental health. Here's the first one. Mental health is a human discussion. It's not a discussion for the immature. It's not a discussion for the weak. It's not a discussion for those who are weak spiritually. It's not a discussion for those who are broken. It's for humans. And it's because God has something that he's walking you through. He's a dream over your life. And he's walking you through things so that you realize that you can't do it. And you can depend on him. So it's not surprising when we walk through struggles. In fact, you're not alone. Let me just, can I read you some of what some of the other heroes of the faith in the Bible expressed themselves. And, and I want you, before I read these, I want you to know that in each case, God met them and redeemed their situation. But I want you to listen, in their low point, these are some of the things they said. And this wasn't like early in their career when they were like just learning and growing. This is like in the middle or the crescendo of what God was doing through them. Listen to this. Here's Moses. This is Moses' prayer. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. That's Moses wanting to die out of his own self-loathing. God met him. How about this one? This is David. This is what he wrote. This is in Psalms. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. In total anguish, King David, man after God's own heart. But God met him. How about Jonah? This is after the whole whale situation, by the way. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And God redeemed him. How about Jeremiah, the prophet? Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? And God met him. How about Apostle Paul? 
one of the, uh, in the New Testament, used so powerfully by God to spread the truth about who Jesus was. And in one passage where he's describing all the things he suffered, he talks about, man, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, they tried to stone me with stones, they tried to whip me, they, they've tried to beat me with rods, I mean, I've been uh, I, in so many ways, and in the crescendo of all of those things he suffered, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wait a minute. Isn't Paul the guy in Philippians who said, be anxious for nothing? Yeah. But he walks through anxiety. Here's what I want you to know. Mental health, it's a human discussion. It's for strong Christians, strong, seasoned Christians, new Christians, all Christians, all humans walk through mental health. And so church, if we're gonna have the view of mental health that scripture does, the first thing is we cannot have a stigma about it. This has to be a safe place where we can openly talk about what we're walking through. There cannot be a stigma about mental health struggles. There cannot be a stigma about going and seeing a counselor about mental health struggles. If anyone, should, that should be an open, encouraged thing. It would be someone who studies the Bible. Why? The Bible over and over and over says, there's so much wisdom in going and seeing and having a lot of counsel in your life. And so going to counseling is not for weak people. It's for wise people. There should be no stigma about going to see a counselor. There should be no stigma about medication. I tell you, when I left the hospital and my child's arm that was broken was healed, I thanked God that I lived in an era that he had blessed us with medical advancement where his arm would move and it would like it had never happened before because there's very few generations that have had that kind of medical advancement, and that is a blessing I thank the Lord for. Are there times when people can be over-medicated or run to medication or see medication as a silver bullet? Absolutely. But if when working with a, with a mental health professional, if there's a medication option that they recommend, there should be no stigma, Christian. Why? Well, it's because the second one. Mental health is a human discussion, but mental health is a holistic discussion. What did God do when he was reaching out to Elijah? He dealt with his body. He let, let him sleep, gave him water, he gave him food, he gave, and he gave him a rest and retreat. He gave him space. It's a holistic discussion. There are some times that Christians fall in one of two extremes. Some Christians fall into the extreme of treating all mental health as if it's purely spiritual. Oh, you've got despair, depression, discouragement, anxiety. Well, it's a sin issue. You're not believing something enough about God. You have a theological problem. You're not praying enough or reading enough scripture. But that's not what God did with Elijah. Did he deal with him spiritually? Yes, but not just spiritually. There are some Christians that when it comes to mental health, they divorce all spirituality from it. They just go, they just treat it like the rest of the world does. And it's 
only about the only about science and, med and medicine and all of those kinds of things. And that's too far as well because God does end up speaking spiritual truth. It's a holistic situation that God wants to deal wants to deal with us. These are the things we're talking about through the podcast. These are the things why it's so important to not only go see a small group leader, not only go talk to a pastor, not only go talk to a trusted Christian friend and ask for prayer and seek the Lord and read scripture and listen to worship music and, and deal with it spiritually, but also find a wise Christian counselor to go meet with who can speak to the rest of the things holistic, whether it's relationally, biologically, emotionally, that can help you find healing. Because all of it belongs to God. He says, love the Lord your God in Deuteronomy with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, all of it, every part of you, your mind, body, and soul, all of it belongs to me. Christian, take care of, God wants you, it's godly for you to take care of yourself holistically, spiritually, physically. It's godly for you to take care of yourself. God takes Elijah off on a retreat. Christian, take your vacations. Take your days off. Um, it's biblical. Every seven years, there was a year in the Old Testament law, every seven years, they had a Sabbath year. They let the land rest. That means they didn't work the land for a solid year. You know, it's interesting, in the last several weeks, I've been uh, looking at what the, how the marketplace is talking about sabbaticals, and especially post-pandemic. More and more, it's not just the academic sector. It's in businesses and nonprofits alike in the marketplace. They're talking about the wisdom. They're Forbes and Harvard Business Review talking about the wisdom of em employees finding ways to pull out and take a break and take a sabbatical, and employers finding ways and the benefit to the long-term health of their employees and their organization for their employees to take sabbaticals. That's a policy that we here at our church have had for um, many, many years, more than uh, 10 years now, we've had a sabbatical policy. The staff leaders, every five years, they are eligible to take a, a few uh, months off where they pull out and retreat. Similar to what Elijah did, they pull off and retreat as a family and take time to rest and seek the Lord. Why? Because we want, we want to be able to serve and lead from a place of spiritual and emotional and relational health and to minister out of that place. In fact, um, this summer, Rebecca and I are gonna be taking a sabbatical for a few months and getting away just alone as, as a family and to, to take time and decompress and seek the Lord and spend time together. And I um, love that we're doing that, not because we're in a mental health crisis. I feel great in my mental health in this season. And this is part of to ensure that that's happening. And so we do, we take that time away. We, we back out for a season, and, and the sta that staff leader will back out for the season. The, the church surges ahead in their absence, but we do that because our mental and emotional and spiritual health is something that's holistic. Mental health is not just a human discussion, it's a holistic discussion. So where do we land on today? Here's what I want you to think about today as we close. Christian, what should you expect? At some point, because he's going to lead you through something that is greater than you can handle, you will walk through these things at some point. You can expect that. 
you can also expect to God to meet you there. Sometimes it's like fire from heaven and he does a miracle and frees you. Other times it's a journey he strengthens you for. But the most important thing that you need to know is that he's there and he's with you. And let him lead you into community where you can find strength. And here's why it's so important for you to know that he's with you. Because when God came to earth in the person of Jesus, he was no stranger to mental health. One last verse, but this time it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what he says to his disciples around him. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And you remember how God met each one of those leaders, Moses, Jonah, Jeremiah, Paul, and met them in their moment? Jesus, like them, in his anguish and anxiety of the suffering he was about to walk through, cried out to God the Father. But this time, God pulled away. And Jesus would have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus died on a cross. God abandoning him, why? Because he was taking our sin and shame on himself and paying for it. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And Jesus walked through that so that you could be reconciled to God that God would always be with you. Christian, whatever you're walking through now, God is with you. Jesus is watching, walking by your side. And if you're not following Jesus, if you've not surrendered your life and become a disciple of Jesus, I wanna urge you to do that today. Can we just take a moment and just take a time of prayer? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray over you this morning. Some of you, you know this is uh, where your journey's been. You said, hey, I've struggled. I am struggling, maybe some of you would say. And I want to just pray for you. I want to just pray that God would work in your heart, in your mind, in power today that you would feel his gentleness meeting you. That this is your broom tree in the wilderness where you'll feel the gentle healing touch of your heavenly father in your life. So everyone, I, I wanna ask you all, everyone to have your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But I just wanna pray over you and you're there at Cooper City watching online or you're here at West Pines if you're saying to the Lord I, I want that prayer then just what I want you to do is just right there in your lap I just want you to open your hands palms facing up before the Lord and just receive this prayer over you 
Father God, you are the same God that parted the Red Sea, that brought fire from heaven. And Lord, it's hard for us to believe those things because they're miracles. And yet you did them in history and recorded them so that we would be reminded that you are a living God, alive and active. And you have all kinds of activity around us, all kinds of miracles you're working around us, some dramatic, some subtle, some we see, some we don't. But we choose to believe that you are at work. And so I pray over these people. I pray over each one of us that are calling out to you saying, bring healing and freedom into my life. Heal and restore. Bring freedom to those who are locked in shame. Bring freedom to those who are locked in isolation. Bring freedom to those who are locked in depression or loneliness or anxiety. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to, for some that would be miraculously freed and healed today in this moment, others that they would begin the process, the hopeful journey of knowing you are going to deliver them. Work in power, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Some of you are here and maybe you're saying, I want to begin following Jesus today. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to Jesus. And if that's you, let me lead you in this prayer because it's not about just religious practices. It's following Jesus Christ with your whole life. And if that's you, then silently in your seat, just say, Jesus, I follow you. I give you my life. I surrender to you. I know that you saved me. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if that, was your, if, if that was your prayer just then, if you're praying for that healing in your life, we're gonna take some time and sing together and uh, continue that process of seeking the Lord. But for those of you who put your faith in Jesus, I wanna challenge you, if you're watching online, go to cityrev.org faith. If you're sitting here, uh, you can grab that Get Connected card. And why we want you to fill that out is because we want to mail you a Bible. Or if you're here, you can take it to the guest services. We'll give you a Bible today. Take that card. We want to um, celebrate with you and walk in that journey. Church, we're going to close with a time of singing. We're going to lift these songs to the Lord. And we're going to, as we're singing, we're going to sing about the power of the name of Jesus that we're going to sing over our lives, in each other's lives. And let's ask God to continue that process of healing as we sing. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.